Welcome to Going Off the Record. I'm Colin Williams, and this is where I talk with the executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, and changemakers working to make this world a little bit better every day. You'll hear their true stories, their failures, their successes, and most importantly, you'll learn what makes them tick. So let's get going off the record. Today, we're here with a good friend of mine, Kevin Sherlock, who is the general counsel of Spot Hero. Uh, Spot Hero is a parking app, but I won't do it justice, so I'll let Kevin give a little bit more explanation of exactly what it is, so everybody knows who you are. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me, Colin. As you mentioned, I am the general counsel of, of Spot Hero. We are a parking reservation service. We have a website and an app. We are available throughout the United States. We're also available in parts of Canada. We are the place where you can search for, book, and reserve parking uh, wherever you're going. You pay ahead of time and show up at the lot and uh, you're good to go. So it really is a, uh, a great convenience for our users and uh, allows them to avoid circling the block, trying to find a spot, it allows everyone to get everywhere easier. So that is Spot Hero. I've been with the company for almost six years. It'll be six years in September. Um, the company's about 10 years old. And it's really just been uh, a very interesting time during COVID to be here, uh, starting off the the, uh, the pandemic with our reservations and transactions being about 90 to 95% off of plan. But as the world's starting to come back, we're seeing people out and parking. And it's really been a great convenience, I think, for people as they start to go back to work, start to go back out to events. So really exciting time to be a Spot Hero. Good. And for those of you who don't know, my wife and I are huge fans of Spot Hero. It will save you money in addition to time and things like that. You're looking for a parking spot and you want a deal on a parking spot. It's perfect. It really, really helps, particularly if you're in an urban area and it's difficult to find parking and God knows what you're going to spend. Okay, so let's get into this. Let's have a little fun. Here are the rules. First, the only real rule is let's not use any names or anything like that. We don't want to breach any confidentiality and we're, we're not out here to make fun of anybody or offend anyone. We're just here to have some fun, talk about some good stories. So that's really the only rule beyond that. We want to hear the craziest, weirdest, funniest things that you've seen in your career. But let's get a little bit more on you. Obviously, I know a ton about you. You've got a really cool background. So tell us about where you're from, what schools you went to. We want to hear about the sports background, too. Yeah, I grew up in suburb right outside Chicago, Park Ridge, Illinois. From there, I, I went to the University of Iowa for college, where I was a five-year member of the football team, uh, letter winner there, and I played fullback on Two championship teams, two Big Ten championship teams, played for Kirk Ferentz, who's still still the head coach today, 20-some years later. And I loved Iowa so much that I decided to stick around and went to law school there as well after a two-year break from school to, to work in politics, which also in Iowa, really a, a great experience. If you want to like really get a taste of the political world, um, the political experience, there's no better place to do it than in Iowa during a, uh, the run-up to a presidential campaign. So did that for, for a couple of years, went to law school at Iowa. Uh, and then following graduation, I, I returned back to Chicago. It was, a, it was about 2010. So that was really still part of the financial crisis that was going on. So was supposed to start at Mayor Brown in 2010, was deferred uh, probably about eight months beyond when we typically would have started. But it was a great opportunity for me to try out something totally different that I, I really um, did not plan to do. But I, was, I, I worked at the city of Chicago law department. I worked in a department called Legal Invest, the longest name, Legal Investigations, Prosecutions, and Information. 
I have no idea what the hell that means. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to work in the the sexy part of that, which was information. So I was <laughs> representing the city of Chicago in in court in court. Like I was actually going to court. My whole background was was more transactional based. I knew when I was in law school that I wanted to go into transactional work. Really, never enjoyed you know the litigation focused classes, which I think in law school seems like just about everything. Wasn't even going to take evidence until. The registrar at Iowa was like, you really should take that. It used to be a required class. So I was like, fine, I'll do it. But yeah, it, it, that break, I guess, from or, or that kind of uh, leaving the course that you think you're on and kind of leaving the path for a period of time, I used it as an opportunity to, to try something new and was in court defending the city in FOIA requests, so Freedom of Information Act requests. If we rejected a request, I was there in front of the court trying to justify our, our uh, rejection of that. It was really... Um, really an exciting time. I know it sounds super exciting and it was, but I, I, you know, I got to meet a lot of great people and, and getting that experience before going to a law firm, it just really gives you two different, two different viewpoints on, um, on the law, you know, and just, just how it, how it differs from, from even where you're practicing or which side of the, the process you're sitting on. So spent about eight months doing that, then went to Mayor Brown, was an associate in the, the corporate group, corporate and securities. I focused on mergers and acquisitions, corporate governance, securities law, all that good stuff. You know, was there for about four or five years, really enjoyed my time as much as you could enjoy your time at a law firm. It was all terrible things that you, you know, the, the horror, horror experiences, horrible experience of being in a law firm, but also, you know, really did get to work with some great people, some great mentors, learn a lot in a, a short period of time and, and set a great foundation for my legal career. I left Mayor Brown after four and a half or so years, joined Groupon, which was still is a tech company based in Chicago. It was an easy transition for me because I was part of the corporate development team, basically serving as the attorney for the corp dev team. So was able to continue doing transactional work, number of acquisitions. We did some divestitures. It was really kind of a, a great way to ease into the uh, the in-house world and, and have a smooth transition. And from there, um, had the opportunity to join Spa Hero to be the first attorney at the company. I had already used the product for, for several years, so I was very familiar with it. Always had great experiences, really really a, a huge supporter of the product. So when I had the opportunity to join as a first lawyer, I, I jumped at it. And it's been six years later, five and a half years later, it's still super interesting. We have been able to grow a team here, seen the company grow as well, and really just uh, enjoying my time here. So that's the last 20 years of my life in a nutshell. That's pretty good. I never realized that you actually dipped your toe into the world of litigation. I, I always <laughs> think, yeah. <laughs> I always stayed away from transactional work because I, I mean, when I was growing up and I, I even thought about law school, I just thought about the shit you saw on TV and just figured lawyers went to court. That's what lawyers did. And uh, boy, did that end up being a fucking mistake in a million different ways for me. But, <laughs> but I never even thought about doing transactional work because I just didn't know anything about it. It would have been good. I mean, as I got further in my career, obviously, I, I got more into that stuff, but it would have been good to sort of dip your toe into everything and realize that there's a whole other world of practicing law out there other than being in court. So yeah. you know the, the place I'm going to go first because I'm an ex-football player. I think a lot about football as something that molded me throughout my life. It taught me lessons. It taught me perseverance, how to work hard. I still have a tremendous group of friends that I played football with growing up. What did football teach you? what did you learn and how do you still use some of those experiences today? Because I know for me, it's a thing that I live it every day, including when I forget my keys and, and can't remember my name. <laughs> That's a whole other different story, too. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't remember. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I, I was a fullback. So a lot of my my experiences playing football were 
were colliding with uh, linebackers and, and uh, making way for, for the, the faster running backs to, to get through the hole. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm the same way. I, uh, it was such a huge part of my life. I think I haven't done the math on this in a while, but I remember at one point realizing, wow, for 50% of my life, I was on a football team or I was involved in, in, with football in some way. And for me, it was, it was really probably for you too. You know, I think if, if you go on to play in college, it's a little bit different than high school in many ways. But if you're going to play in college, it typically means that you did really well on your high school team. Maybe you were a captain or an MVP. I think I was both. I think I was maybe a co-captain, tri-captain. But um, I think even that is like is just such a an eye-opening experience. You go from being a leader on a team to all of a sudden you're the new person, you're a freshman. I still remember when I got to Iowa, I was I the first week was just exciting. I, I remember like you know, seeing Iowa on my shirt and thinking, oh my God, like how did I how did I pull this off? How did I get to Iowa football? This is so cool. <laughs> But I also remember looking up at guys and I'm like, this person's five years older than me. They're a foot taller than me, at least. They weigh 150 pounds more than me. But, you know, you get to experience that as a new player and, and learn from you know, it. Really, you have to have some humility, I think. You can't go in. Some guys can. Some guys can go in and think they're the shit and they're usually the guys who make the NFL. Uh, <laughs> they weren't like me. But um, I think that part of it was so interesting to me, just being on a team. You know, I think football to me is the perfect team game, team sport, because it requires all 11 players to do their job and get and you know, if a play breaks down and we used to watch film all the time afterwards and you always dissect it, you know, you can usually point to, all right, this person didn't do their job. This person didn't do theirs. So you're always held accountable. And I think at Iowa in particular, this is, like I said, coach parents is still there, but one of the things they always preached was um, preparing to be the best. Preparation was always just such a huge part of the Iowa football program. So that's something I've carried with me. I carried it to law school. I carried it beyond that. You can always, you can control some things. You can't control your opponent. You know, when I was at Iowa, we played some great teams like USC that just kicked our ass. Like, what could you do? They just had better players. <laughs> More <laughs> talent some sometimes wins. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you still prepare. It's all about preparation. And I, I think that's that's what sometimes can make the difference, just ensuring that you have a game plan, ensuring that you're you're ready for whatever wrinkles might be might be coming your way, whatever curveballs might be thrown at you. So I think that's something that I, I always try to think of that in my career now. Like, all right, how what are all the different ways this can go? What are the different questions that I can get asked on this? How do you, how do you respond to that? Preparation is just such a, such a huge part of it. And otherwise just doing your job, you know, you have a job, everyone plays a role. And when you see everyone work in tandem, come together and and accomplish a goal, it's really, really a special thing. So for me, it teaches all the life lessons. I think that, that someone needs it's um, how to be committed to something, how to be held accountable for something, how to prepare, how to game plan, how to come back from making mistakes too. I mean, how many times, Colin, were you watching film or you had a coach say, like, what happened there? You know, like, I, I still remember there was one time I, I was in practice and, you know, the quarterback threw out some, threw out like a color or, or some term out there. that I had no idea what it meant. I think I was a freshman. And for some reason, I thought it meant that it flipped the play. Like, I don't know why I thought that. So I like just went the other way. And, um, and that was a big, I think it was like a, a toss or, you know a sweep or something. And when the running back doesn't have his lead blocker, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's your mistakes get called out, you know? You, so I think you get used to like just accepting responsibility for things. You can't have a good excuse and, and say, well, I thought this or that. It's like, nope, it's all there on tape. And and I think just being able to accept that, accept those mistakes and learn from them, accept that mistakes are going to happen. I had a, a, my running backs coach, Carl Jackson, one of, uh, one of my favorite people that I've ever ever been around he used to say like if you're gonna if you're gonna make a mistake at least go like go hit someone you know so it's, it's making it a thousand miles an hour yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was a great lesson too because like 
you know what, if you're going to make, you're going to make mistakes and you just have to accept you're going to make mistakes. It's all about how you respond to them. It's all about how quickly you can transition in, into like trying to make the best of it. So I think that's another thing that, that I've taken, taken from that, but also, you know, the lifelong friendships that you have, I have buddies that I go back, uh, see at Iowa football games and you maybe only see them once, once a year and it's at that game, but you just jump right back into it. It's a great group of people. Yeah. I mean, you hit on a couple of things for me. It was always, I love the concept of you can't control your opponent. I'll never forget my first day at college football when we hit. Uh, we had a, a fifth-year senior tight end, Ryan Sullivan. If you ever listen to this, Ryan, you taught me a lot about life. He was like six foot four, two hundred and forty-five pounds. I was probably six one, two hundred, and we did you know one-on-ones. And he literally picked me up under my armpits and yeah. walked with me like five yards and dropped me on the ground. And I was like, oh, so this is the difference. I was 17. He was whatever, mm-hmm. 22. So this is the difference between being a boy and a man. I've just learned that. But that gets back to that concept of like, you can't control the opponent. You're right. I had prepared. I'd done everything I had to do. But at some point, somebody might just be better than you. And that's a good thing to learn. And that plays into like humility and accountability, right? I mean, the ability to be humble and recognize that you're not always going to win and accept that. And better yet, when that shit's on tape and your coach says, what the hell were you doing? To me, that's the irony of when we get into professional life, right? There is no tape. So right. you find a lot of people who will just say anything to get out of what they did or to absolve themselves of accountability. And to me, that's bullshit. Because back then you learned like, it's on tape. I saw yeah. what you did. You can't deny it. So that gets built into you where you say, all right, I'm going to accept these things and I'm not perfect and that's fine, but I'm always going to be accountable for the things I do. That goes both ways. You do something great, take accountability and you win. That's awesome. But if you do something wrong, don't be don't be the motherfucker who goes and hides behind somebody because that's bullshit. Yeah, don't you have more respect? Like I, I feel like now when I see people actually like accept responsibility for something, I'm just automatically like, awesome. That's great that we started there versus like, you know, a, a list of excuses. Like, okay, cool. We all just accept it. But you're right. Like in football, every day we watch we watch tape. And you knew I have, you know, the game on Saturday, on Sunday you're watching tape. There's no hiding from it. Yep. You also raise a really good point, which is something I've learned through my career too. When you don't accept accountability, that's when things spiral and just continue and get worse and worse and worse. I've always found through life that the best thing that you can do in your professional life is if you fuck something up, you say, I fucked it up. I own it. I'll fix it. I'll do what needs to happen. There's no response to that. Nobody can yell at you when you say that, right? It's when you're like, oh, no, 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 she did something and he did that. And that's why it went wrong. And then the accountability falls back to you. Well, what the what the fuck were you doing? Because it's your responsibility. So if you just own it, you really sort of disarm whatever the response is going to be. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, it shows that you're more focused on finding solutions versus trying yeah. to justify what went wrong or, or, or determine who screwed up. It's like, nope, we're going to go and, and figure out how to, how to make this happen, how to, how to write the ship. And I will say my time, my time at Groupon, that was something that really stood out to me with the corp dev team. I feel like a lot of times in law firms, you know, you're just kind of figuring out what, what went wrong. And sometimes people would leave. I always loved when someone would leave the firm and then it was, Oh, that person must have screwed this up. That was an easy person <laughs> to point to. Uh, but I, I loved when I got to Groupon that um, just, it was the kind of place where if something went haywire everybody just no one was trying to point to figure out who did it it's like how do we fix it and that just it made such a that was a meaningful moment for me in my professional career to be at a place where there was just such a focus on on trying to find solutions versus trying to figure out who who screwed up and just waste time just wasteful energy there yep 
I could not agree more. I mean, that is, you can see those differences too, I guess. I also had a pretty good law firm experience like you did, but it is a different world going from a law firm to in-house where you definitely feel like it's more of a team, like a cohesive team, as opposed to like your units within a law firm. And also you're working, I'm sure we'll cover a lot of this, but when you're in-house, you're working every day with your teammates, right? You're not, you can't just like disappear. I've definitely seen at law firms where all of a sudden like, all right, that associate's not going to work for this client anymore. And then the client <laughs> never hears from them. But if you're, in, if you're in house, I'm sitting right next to our finance team. Like I sit across from our, or at one point I sat across from our CFO, like can't hide from that. So can't hide anymore, <laughs> particularly open offices. Like you can't even go in here, <laughs> shut the door, disappear. Well, let's get into the law a bit. What you know, I always like to ask this to lawyers. We have to. Can we just talk about. Can we just talk about football longer. Yeah, we, we can just talk about football too. Um, <laughs> go, go, you go downstairs, get a beer. Let's just talk about football. <laughs> but you know, I do like j- the law is an interesting thing to me, right? I look back on it and say, was this the right choice for me? I don't know. It's led me down some really interesting paths, and uh, there's a lot I'm really grateful for. I'm I'm really happy I spent three years in New Orleans. You can't really beat that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do wonder sometimes people will ask, like, what do you like about what you do? What do you hate about what you do? There's always been throughout my career, there's been a lot I've hated. There's been some stuff I've liked, too. I don't know that it's always related to law. But when you talk about what you've done in the law, what do you like about the things that you've done? What do you hate about it? Well, the things that what I like about what I do, and this, this is what led me to transactional work. And this is probably wrong. Again, I wasn't I wasn't looking to go into litigation and you know, the same way that you had your thoughts about what litigators do when you were, before you were in law school, or when you're in law school, I had that too. And I, I just, the adversarial nature of it to me, of litigation was just not something that was super appealing to me. I know that that, that probably um, gets a lot of people going, but for me, there was a lot of um, excitement about just being able to practice and add value, but also like use relationships in a way to create something positive. And that's where a transactional work was so interesting because you could really, you can use all like the cliches, make the pie bigger, all that stuff. But, but really, you you had in an M and A deal. You know, you, you had two sides. You had a an acquirer. You had a target. You were representing one or the other, but both sides had their goals, and it was all about how can you how can you find common ground to accomplish as much of the each party's goals. So I really I really love the collaborative nature of transactional work. It can be adversarial at times, of course, too. And I recall many examples of where things got adversarial, but. At the end of the day, I just love that you could kind of like celebrate. You could do a closing dinner and you had both sides of the transaction there, which which to me was always really cool that at the end of the day, you could kind of put all those differences aside, any differences that came up during the transaction and then celebrate going forward. So I try to take that approach and employ it every day when I'm doing my job here as, as uh, at Spot Hero's general counsel. It's all about relationship building. How can you go, go beyond just the, the role that each, that each person's playing, but like actually get to know people so that when they come to you and ask for something, it's not just transactional in, in nature. It's more of like, all right, you know, I'm going to help you and, and we're going to like together, we're going to do this great thing for the company. And by the way, like, how are you doing? You know, just being able to know people. Yeah. So that's, I think what I love most is just the, the relationships, people that I've, I've met along the way, even clients, but going back to like when I was in, in a law firm and people you never even met. Now we see everyone on Zoom, right? Everyone's on Zoom. But there were times like I had clients where I was working, doing deals for them and never, never met them in person so wild, but really just enjoyed, enjoyed building those relationships, providing good work to those clients. So I like the relationships that you can, you can form along the way. I like when you can, I feel like with transactional work too, and I I love doing deals. I love, we've done a couple acquisitions in my time at Spot Hero. We've done a divestiture, just being able to see like a clear timeline on something. And you actually, you have, there's a start and an end and it's, it's very clearly 
delineated. You know, you have a term sheet that kicks it off and then you have a closing date that ends it. So maybe there's post-closing stuff, but you know, you just, how many other um, processes do you have in a company where it's like, this has to get done on this, on this timeline and it actually gets done. Like stuff always comes up and things always fall by the wayside, but it's great when you've got a deal and you can really just keep pushing towards that, towards that closing date. So that's about it. That's all I like about the law. I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else. Like, what else do you? What else do you like, Colin? I mean, I, I think like know, it's, like it seems like in law firms, like you know, it's it's a good. You can make a good living. You can get you get compensated well, and I think just being able to like serve as that trusted advisor is also very rewarding. Like people actually come to look, you know, come to you for answers. I like that, and it's a heavy burden that you got to carry because you got to make sure that you're. These are people who might take your advice. They might not, but if they do take it, you hope that it's good advice you're giving them. Just make sure you wrote it down. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that you, you mention it because I think I really underestimated the adversarial nature. I thought it would be cool to stand up in court and talk and argue points and things like that. But I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. I think 80 to 90% of lawyers got beat up as kids. So sorry to all you lawyers out there. And the litigators, this is their way of like getting back at the world for what happened to them because... So many of them took it so personally. And one of my mentors, I'll, I'll never forget, he, he told me, Kevin Finger, God bless you, man. I hope you listen to this. He told me, look, the facts are the facts. Don't you ever try to change them. You do the best job that you can with what you're given. And don't ever compromise yourself morally because you want to win or you want to get back at somebody. This isn't personal. It's a job. It's a business. And I was amazed at how personally people took stuff and how personally they made everything. And I struggled with that because, look, I'm a football player. I've done all sorts of stuff. I love good. I love a good contest. But some of this just seems so incredibly stupid to me. That's why I think I needed to get out of litigation because I just couldn't. The level of adversarial adversarialness, is that a word? I don't, I don't think it's a word. I seriously underestimated how personal and how deep and, and to what depths people would go to make things happen when I, I looked at it as a job. So... But I agree with you on the other side, like the things that I like about it. I love the fact that it taught me to read and write and not like from the kindergarten sense. <laughs> Hopefully I was able to do that. But it really made me a substantially better reader and writer, like a critical thinker. I love the fact that it taught me to do that. I, once again, I love the fact that I spent three years in New Orleans. Forget about going to law <laughs> I go get my PhD. And I do love, like you said, I love the relationships. I love like... If you and I weren't lawyers, we we would have never met, right? Probably, maybe probably not. Maybe at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the the number of cool people that I've met through because yeah. I've been a lawyer is is something that I can never discount. And it is it's the relationships. I mean, to me, that's what makes everything cool, right? But that's what I love the most about it too is just the relationships I've been able to create. The wonderful things that I've learned. The shit I hate about it is that adversarial nature because it pops up even in house, right? It's like. Everybody sure. wants to pick a fight. And I'm just sitting here like, why can't we all just get along? Right. Because <laughs> we're lawyers. We must, yeah, we must yeah, argue. We're lawyers. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that part of that role of being the trusted advisor for serving your client's interests best, it's, it's, you have to be a real person and you have to connect with people because I've always found in my experience that like the deals I, I enjoyed the most were the deals where like the attorneys on both sides just got along. You could disagree about a point. But I wasn't going to like, you know, call you a name or, or, you know, talk shit about where you went to school or something. I mean, it's, it's just so you can still like why, when you can really rise above, above that level and actually be more thoughtful about it. 
be more conversational about it. Try just try to get to just try to get to a good outcome. That's that's always the best experience. I think clients clients are best served. I think like if you're a general counsel, your company's best served by you just not being an asshole, right? Yeah, I mean <laughs> maybe, that's maybe. What is Hopefully. it? What does it fucking boil down to, right? Yeah. What is it? But don't be a fucking asshole. I mean, honestly, God, I think life could <laughs> that could just be a motto for life. There should always be some level of respect, right? Yes. I actually think that. So this is a total side, but I played in a hockey game last night, right? Stupid beer league hockey, and a guy boarded me and literally headfirst into the boards to the point where I could have broken my neck. Wow. Let's say I got up and was. I was displeased about what happened and, and made that very clear. But I kept thinking in the box, like, what the hell are you doing? We're all out here. We all have to go to work tomorrow. Like, there should always be some level of mutual respect unless somebody has given you a reason that you shouldn't have mutual respect. Right. And that, to me, is like the basis of all of it. Like, I have certainly been on deals where you're not always getting along. But as long as there's mutual respect, you'll figure it out. Um, totally agree. On, you're like fuck it. All bets are off. <laughs> it's got to go both ways. That's a good point to make. You you know, it can't just be a one, a one way street here. Like you're not, you got to give respect to get respect, right? Yes. A thousand percent. All right. Well, let's get into a little bit of fun stuff. Wait, I we didn't want... get to talk about what I hate about it. Oh I'm, shit. Tell me what you hate about it. That's, no. that's way more interesting. <laughs> I mean, I think, we, I, think we, I think we talked, I think we covered some of that, you know, the adversarial nature of some things. Um, I think sometimes the disconnect from reality too. Just like sometimes the legal advice or the legal view is just so technical and, and there might just be more of a practical way to, to handle something. Like is someone really going to care if like you send the, the notice email to like you put the attention line on a different, different <laughs> below this. I had that happen to me once where they're like someone like pointed out, they're like, no, the attention line is supposed to go like at the top or under the company name and not at the bottom. And it's like, okay, are we really being practical at that point? So I, I think sometimes it's a disconnect from, from a practical outcome or from, from just kind of the, the ordinary day-to-day process is, is sometimes uh, where you just have to like throw up your arms sometimes. There's a person that I admire a ton in my life who's helped me a bunch. And she has said, you need to always think of, think of everything that happens to you in one way. If you're feeling stressed out or nervous or whatever it is, ask yourself, is this an emergency? Is this really an emergency? And ask yourself at least three times. And if you can't answer absolutely yes, calm down. It's not that big a deal. And I think lawyers really need that piece of advice because the reality is you can get deep into deals or litigation or whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is you're dealing with money. Money can be replaced. And that doesn't mean there's not stress or that you shouldn't take it seriously. But I was like my brother, who's an emergency room doctor. This is an emergency. This person is going to die if I don't do X, Y, Z. What we do, I can't think of a situation where that's going to be the case. So you should always be able to take a step back and say, this is not an emergency. And if the attention line isn't in the right spot, we're all going to be okay. A really, really <laughs> important thing, I think, to remember. And, and honestly, I think a lot of attorneys would be better served if they could take a step back and say, what I do <laughs> is it may be important and it may be stressful and that's okay, but it's, this is not an emergency. It's good advice for both in-house counsel and outside counsel too, because too often, and this is something I, this is probably what I dislike the most about being at a firm was that you just, you never got to see the pipeline. You didn't see something coming down the tubes and, and be able to plan your life accordingly. It was always the Friday, 4.30 PM or you know, Friday before a holiday weekend when you're getting a lot thrown at you. And then you, then you have the uh, situation where you send something, you work all night, send something back, and then you don't hear about it for like two weeks. So 
It wasn't really an emergency. Um, that I try to take that into my my daily practice too, where I'm not here to destroy some law firm associates weekend. Like I'm not, there's probably not a need for me to send something on Friday and need it back over the weekend or, or before. There might be from time to time, but you know, if, if you do that too often, I think you're just kind of abusing the um, the power and really not being respectful of, of uh, the service that someone else is able to provide. Well, it gets back to mutual respect, right? There you go. If you're going to shit on somebody like that, then why should they have any respect for you? And you never know when you're going to run into people later in life, right? That law firm associate that you abuse and, and don't think that their life is worth it may at some point be your boss in some way. Who knows? So right. you don't want stuff like that to come back and haunt you. All right. But let's get to the really fun stuff. <laughs> so let's just talk. I mean, because I saw some crazy shit and I can even I mean, I always think like holiday parties are low hanging fruit, right? Sure. I mean, man, I saw a partner once get so drunk that he literally fell into the bar, cracked his head off of it and was like on the ground, just sitting there. And I'm like, you know, this guy's like a 25 year partner here. <laughs> what what the hell just happened? But I mean, holiday parties are low hanging fruit. I'd love to just hear like any of the funny shit you've seen on deals, any of the stupid things you've seen people do. I mean, we could spend the next like three hours probably talking about this stuff. But to me, it's it's always funny to sort of share war stories and be like, I can't I can't fucking believe that happened. Yeah. I mean, the holiday parties, you're right. We could spend all the time just on that. How many people I've seen carried out from holiday parties. In terms of like a crazy deal story, there's always like those really weird issues that come up and it comes up like right before closing. I don't know. It doesn't even have to be a deal story. I'd love to just hear some of the stupid shit that you've seen people do in these deals. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think like when I was at Groupon in my second year, I was there, we were doing a lot of international deals and uh, we were selling off subsidiaries in places like Russia, India. choice. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't hear about Groupon having to end operations there in 2022. Um, we, we did one and we were on a, on a buy side in Australia. And I remember just, just seeing how deals are done elsewhere and, you know, seeing, um, hearing the local laws of other, of other countries. And I think it was in Australia where you can, um, typically in an M&A deal, you'll have, um, sellers is going to make disclosures and they're going to list out all the things that violate or that do not match up with the representations and warranties that they're giving, in the body of the agreement, in the purchase agreement. So they're going to list out all the bad things. Here's all the litigation matters we have. And in Australia, apparently you can just make like, probably uh, here I am like paraphrasing Australian law. You can apparently just, you can apparently just, (laughs) all the Australian lawyers listening to this are going to be like, guys, no fucking clue what he's talking about. Yeah, you just got taken on that deal. No, but apparently in Australia, if you're a seller, you can just like make a broad reference to the data room. And like everything you put in the data room is just like automatically disclosed against all the reps and warranties that you're making, which basically means like if there's, you know, one piece of paper in the 500,000 pages that were, were disclosed, it says like, here's all, you know, we have this massive litigation case. Like it's, it's, it's all of a sudden treated as if it was disclosed to you, which I just thought that was, that was totally absurd. I think some of the other things you see in like international, international deals is um, signature pages. Like how, what is anyone ever doing with like these hand signed wet ink signature pages are they all just like sitting in a box somewhere what the fuck i mean we live in a digital world right why do you still have to sign certain things 
in fucking pen. Right. <laughs> I want to know what's happening with those. Like, I should follow. Up, I should yeah. like follow up with an email from five years ago and be like, I need you to produce the the wet you signature. Send me back the wedding signature and wet tell me signature. What, what journey you've been on. But yeah, I was doing another deal and it involved like five different countries and we had directors who were, you know, someone was in like Switzerland and on vacation. Someone was in Italy. It was maybe over the holidays or something. And I just remember we needed this original signature page and all the signatures had to be on the same page. And you're just like, what do you mean? <laughs> like the amount of effort that's going around? into this. Yeah. So this, I, I kid you not, I'm like following, I'm tracking the signature page on whatever DHL's website or something and seeing it travel, I mean, to places that I could only, only, dream of going to one day, you know, like that, that kind of, that kind of trip that it took was just amazing. It was in Italy. It was in Switzerland. It was, it was all over Europe. And then it ended up in, I think, Singapore after that, it had to go to Singapore. That's where, where is it now? You need to hunt it down. I can, I can, I'm going to find that uh, law firm associate who was, who was great at his job, but it's just, you hear some of these things and you're like, this can't be the way that it's done. This, like this can't be the best use of our time. I need to be the associate who gets handed that thing and you have to fly around with it and like get the signatures and then get back on the plane and go to the next place and get a signature. Now that would be a good gig if you could bill for that entire time. Oh man, I, I proposed it. I proposed it to someone that like, Hey, why don't you just let me handle this? I'll take it to all these places. And I think at one point, like looking at the Google map directions, it would have had me driving like through Afghanistan to get all the way to <laughs> India. So that did not get approved. What bad could happen? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just had the vision of like carrying the signature page, like through, through all these countries, like by boat. I mean, what a, what a ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous process. Yeah. The Olympic torch. <laughs> and you know, what's crazy too, is then when you like, this is getting back to my earlier point about where the legal process doesn't really reflect a practical reality. Like, you know, you're trying to explain to like your deal lead, why it has to, why this has to be the case. Like, why do you need this? And you can't, like, how do you even justify it? It's just, Oh, well, this is what, you know, this is what local council is telling us. So that's something that can be super frustrating. But it's those, it's those kind of stories where you're just like, there has to be a better way. I'll give you one. It's a little bit funny. It's also just straight up awesome. At Reverb, we, we bought a tiny little company. It was really a good thing that we did. It's something I'm super proud of having done in my career. Um, and there's a million different reasons that I won't get into. But, you know, we bought this little company and a lot of their IP assets, and that included their social media and our CTO at the time, a brilliant dude, brilliant. So we're like, well, we need access to all the social media. So we need all your, your passwords and all your usernames so we can get into that stuff. And they're like, oh, we'll gather them up and send them over by the end of the day. And he goes, no, 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 keep them. He goes, I'm gonna hack all your account, accounts right now and get all the, the <laughs> usernames and passwords myself. He did it within five minutes, every single one of their social media accounts. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Now, there was nothing evil about it, right? They knew that he was going to do it. But this guy was like, no, it's too, it's too easy for you just to send it over on a piece of paper. Like, I'll just hack through this shit and get it myself. And then we watched him do it. My jaw was just like, just sitting there on the ground, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Then I realized how actually non-intelligent I am because I was staring at somebody <laughs> who's actually really, really smart. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there were times where you were negotiating that deal and he was looking in awe at, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the edits that you were making to the notice provision. <laughs> yeah. That red line is pure genius. Oh my yeah. God. How did you do this? <laughs> I also just think back to like doing in-person, in-person negotiations, which right now just seems like, you know, I think that was maybe going 
we're getting further away from that prior to the pandemic. But now during the pandemic, I feel like it's probably so rare. We acquired a company, Rover Parking, in uh, October of 2020. So kind of in the early stage of COVID, went the whole deal without ever meeting in person, without ever, I don't, we probably did a Zoom here or there. But I just think back to some of those experiences I had when I was negotiating in-person deals. And that's where you can really see a lot of, a lot of random stuff that comes up. And I remember one time we were on one side where we had like 20 attorneys who were all part of like this deal team. It was, we were negotiating in, in New York. And then the other side had two attorneys. And it was just like, we we're in this room where it was a big uh, U-shaped table that had like enough room for all of our side. <laughs> and they just had two people kind of sitting like, like opposite of the U. And I remember just thinking like, wow, this is, it's amazing. And, you know, I think that like, I'm not sure who, who looked stronger in that moment. Like the, t- the side that had 20 people or 20, the two people yeah. who were just kind of there, like, like fending off all the questions. It was pretty, it was pretty impressive to, to see. But um, that was another thing where I'm just like, wow, you got 20 attorneys. Like this client is sparing no expense um, to have everyone. everyone yeah. Those, there. those two people were just like, fuck it. I got this. Yeah, that, that looks way stronger than you being part of like the that's guts, right? Like where you're like, no, I don't I don't need a team. We got this covered. All right. It was really cool. That was yeah. a situation though. I think we negotiated that thing over like six days. And I don't know. I think maybe we were getting we we're all getting like one or two hours of sleep. And I this was the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. Like by the fifth day, I just felt like I remember how I felt the first day. And on the fifth day, after minimal sleep, I was like this whole floor plan has like changed. I felt like I was like <laughs> you were a different universe. <laughs> You're a straight deal drunk. <laughs> oh, and a funny one on that one too is that one of the two attorneys at one point tried on the other side tried to leave at like two in the three in the morning one night. You know, how could you? And the deal person from our side, like the client, stopped this attorney while she was in the elevator bank and was just like, Where are you going? Like, you can't. <laughs> You can't leave. Well, You're not allowed to shower. <laughs> you can't. It's only 3 a.m. You got three more hours of this. Um, I try to block some of those out, but it's you just see people do really they kind of lose their minds a little bit, I think, at that point with, with such limited sleep. There yeah. was a junior associate who was like putting together signature pages. And I remember like the top partner was coming in, you know, kind of making sure that everything was organized and yes, this ask this guy, the associate, if he had all the signature pages. And this guy, <laughs> this guy just was like, yeah, I've got the signature pages. They're right here. And we're just like, the rest of us are all looking at each other like, what is going on? This guy is going to get himself fired. But you're just at that like point of delusion where any sort of like thought about how you should act or how you should frame something, yeah, yeah. it's just out, throw it out the window. It's like, you're just trying to get this thing done. <laughs> Oh, good stuff, man. All right. Well, I want to make sure we get to the lightning round, which is my favorite. All right. So you basically have a sentence to answer each of these questions. And we're just going to go. You can't think about it. Just plow out the answers. Then we'll wrap this thing up and uh, and off we go. All right. Favorite movie and why? I've got three. I'm going to give them to you. Rushmore is like my theatrical one. Wes good Anderson. Movie. Uh, great yep. movie. Bill Murray. Classic Jason Schwartzman. Super Troopers because it's the funniest movie I've ever seen in my life. And I still remember, <laughs> I still remember the moment I was watching it with my high school buddies and we're like, what, what even is this? I don't know how we got this movie. I think we probably got it at a blockbuster, but just absolutely hilarious. And my guilty pleasure movie, national treasure with Nick Cage. 
Oh my God. National right. Treasure one and two. If I can get it on TNT or TBS, whatever channel it's always on, back to back, I am set. Like, I'm watching that. I'm spending I didn't even know there was a second one. I will say Nicolas oh Cage, Con Air, great, great. And actually, why did I think about it? I'm laughing, but National Treasure was a good movie. I did, like I said, I did not see the second one, but. So, you know what I respect about National Treasure? Nothing. The, like the whole concept. <laughs> well, I'm, sh- I don't, yeah, I'm sure it's not based completely <laughs> in fact. There's probably a lot of facts in there. Someone should check all that. But I love, like, Da Vinci Code was coming out that same year, and National Treasure, like, beat Da Vinci Code to the punch. <laughs> And was just like, we're going to put a way like more relatable story out that like anyone can get this. And we're going to put Nick Cage in it. It's going to be great. I was in college when that came out. And I went to that movie with my best friend from the football team, Sam Brownlee, and his mom. Like, I don't know why, but his mom, like Jennifer Brownlee, if you're listening, I don't know why you're listening, but she was she was the greatest. She would clean our place and we were in two days. It would come back to this. That's, beautiful that's a good. I don't know. What, what would you call her? Um, a mom-in-law? Type of uh, thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you call her. Good friends, mo- friend, good friend, mom, just friend. Good friends, mom, right? But yeah. Yeah, there's something we more. Us, She's cleaning. She took, us, she took us to go see National Treasure at like you know some movie theater in Iowa City, and it was just it's I don't know. I think my favorite movies I associate with like the the experience of watching them. Yeah, National Treasure, living the dream, my friend. All right, <laughs> favorite book and why? I l- probably would say um, Into the Wild. John Krakauer. You ever read that one? Oh God, John Krakauer, the best writer. He's great. Yeah, yeah, no, I love, I love that one. Um, I mean, just like the story and reading the book, you can kind of like get all the, like the scenery in your mind. I've never been to Alaska, but that, that book made me want to go to Alaska, but hopefully be more prepared. It kind of goes back. Like I thought the message and all that too, like preparation, so important. This guy who went up there without, I respect the drive. I respect like someone who kind of like veered from the path that everyone thought they were going to go on. But then, you know, but, ends up in the wilderness and <laughs> yeah, and to tie it tie it back, come full circle. Like you can't control your opponent. Sometimes you can't, and that's yeah, why he, and, he was matched up against an opponent that you really need to be as, as prepared as possible. Yeah, and Mother Nature is a, a hell of an opponent. Yeah, I mean, Krakauer, Missoula, into thin air. It, everything he writes is just amazing. Yeah. Important one, favorite person other than me, and why? <laughs> Present company <laughs> excluded. Uh, well, in that case, uh, I would say. Probably my my grandma was my favorite person, like just tough as nails, um, old school grandma who like just so many good stories about her. Like one time, like my dad will tell a story of when she when he was a kid and um, his bike got stolen and he was living in like you know, in, in the city, in Chicago, in in, um, in Austin, which is you know, now uh, I think when he was there, it wasn't yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there wasn't as much crime as there's there now. But someone stole his bike. So there was still some crime there. And um my grandma like went and chased these kids down, like, you know, took the bike back, yelled, yelled at them. So she was just like tough as nails and really just like really a hard worker. She was someone who kind of set the tone for our entire family, for like my parents, for my aunts and uncles, my cousins. And she always kind of had like this viewpoint of like, like saying, like, you're my people. And I always just like that kind of stuck with me. Like, all right, in your life, you're going to have these, you're going to have a group of people who you just are like, that's like my group. You know, the, the, that's like the group I'm going to people. And, yeah. uh, and she would do anything for her people. So she was just like, she was just such a badass. Um, so she was, she was a very interesting person. And I love that. Like I was in grade school once and you had to interview someone and I picked her to interview. And she was telling me these stories about how her father who came over from Ireland during prohibition, she toned it down for me. She's like, he, he was brewing root beer 
<laughs> in the in the closet. <laughs> it was only years later that I realized I don't think that was true. Yeah, that's probably, probably not root beer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, have you ever had a good Irish root beer? They're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I, IBC? That you're on the IBC? Yeah. All right. What's your biggest pet peeve? I feel like I have a lot of pet peeves. The one I point out a lot is, so I work my company, Spot Hero. The S is capitalized and the H is capitalized, but it's all one word. So it really, it really, my biggest pet peeve is when someone doesn't capitalize the H. And I only say that because I one time had someone call me. I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know, someone, it was some agency or something. And they were like, do you work for Spothero? I'm like, see, this is why you have to capitalize the H. Oh, oh, that's but a other, good one. Yeah, other than that, I think just kind of probably general pet peeves other people have. And it goes to what we were talking about earlier, like excuses. You know, sometimes you just have to – people see through that. So why are, why are you just throwing up excuses? Like, let's get to the solution finding part. Find the solution, man. Mine's more personal. I hate it when people chew with their mouth open. <laughs> um, I'd see, I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> I hate it when people are like in the, when you're in, you know, on a plane and people like jump up and jump into the middle of the, the aisle. And then like when they try to pass you. Oh my God. There are rules. There are rules. Oh, it drives me crazy. Oh. Or when, people, when you're in like a right, right lane and it's a red light and the person in front of you is also in that right lane. You're like, why are you in this lane? I can be turning <laughs> right right now. I can go on. Elevators. When people, when people try to walk into elevators before you've walked out of the elevator. Sometimes I have these things happen and I'm like, I should remember this for when I'm going to get asked a question about what my biggest pet peeve is. Yeah. I mean, I've got so many, but chewing is just the one I'm like, God damn it. Just shut. And when people chew on like the phone or a call, look, I love my parents. I hate it, but my dad's done it sometimes. He'll like eat chips. I'm like, can you wait until we're done talking? <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, all right. Three more really quick. Okay. Somebody's gonna play you in a movie. Who would it be? Oh man, uh, I don't know. You tell me. Like, who, who who would it be? I've heard of uh, this one's embarrassing, but I'll tell you. Uh, Zach Galifianakis with the beard. <laughs> uh, who no. else has a beard in Hollywood? I don't know. He has a beard. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. I don't know. Is that why it's just because of the beard? I think it's like the beard that stands out. Oh no, I know the other one. Kit Harrington. John Snow. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Or the guy who played Cal, Dra Cal Drago. That'd be better. Jason yeah, Momoa. Be, yeah, that, well, the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, both you and I exactly like him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Somebody hands you $10 million tomorrow. Are you retiring? Tomorrow? No, I want to retire. I'm putting that money. I'm diversifying it. I think I would just like, I think I would keep going, you know, see what happens with, with Spot Hero see what that 10 million turns into and while it just sits in an interest earning account and then do something. I, I don't know that I would ever, I don't know that I would ever retire. I think I'd still want like an office that I could go to, but I might not do it. Yeah. Something like I'd, to I'd do. Yeah. Hang out and do podcasts with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, man. I'll always do something, but man, somebody handed me 10 million tomorrow. Life 10 million is a good number. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it was a range of like, you know, look, for everybody listening, don't take this the wrong way. $10 million <laughs> is a lot of fucking money. We're not stupid, right? But $10 million is you see, you see like athletes who blow like $200 million and you think, how the hell could you blow $200 million? I could see somebody blowing $10 million. It would be an unintelligent thing to do. But it's a number that you could see that disappearing. So it's that fringe of like, 
it could be, it could easily be enough to retire easily. But if you did stupid shit with it, it could disappear. So that's why I like to ask that question because it gets into that mindset of, you know, is this enough? Would you be responsible enough with it to say, I'm done? I'm going to go do what I want to do. Or are you the guy who's like, I just bought 45 Bentleys? And you're like, All right, well, your money's gone. <laughs> if you're even considering buying 45 Bentleys, $10 million, like, I don't even know what you're going to do the rest of, with the rest right. of that money. But yeah. you're, you should <laughs> probably <laughs> keep working on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that, um, of course, it's a great number and you'd be blessed to not to probably not have to work again. But um, I think I would get, I don't know, I, I, as much as I think I would enjoy retirement, I think I would probably get a little you bit more. Yeah. I, like, I like going out into the world and doing and seeing people yeah. and doing things. So, um, Well, let's just collectively, we'll each get $10 million and we can figure out. Yeah. yeah, we'll get an office together. It'll have like a yeah. fully, fully stocked bar. <laughs> It'll be a hybrid, a hybrid uh, environment. We can go in one day a week or something. It'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Last one. One word. If you're going to describe the most important trait for that you look for in any person, professionally, personally, whatever, what's the one word? Humorous. Oh, all right. Yeah. I was thinking like honesty or something, but yeah. I think I mean, <laughs> well, there are great. Yes. There are plenty of, of single words that, that I would, would want, you know, in a number of people, but I think just like having, you know, having humor, having a personality, being able to make, make things enjoyable. We talked earlier about the relationships, you know, and that you build in the course of your career and the deals that you do and what you remember. And I think just someone who's got like a good, a good sense of humor and positivity. That's too, I think is a good one. Just who wants to be around negative people all the time. I'm with you, man. That's a good one. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you to Kevin Sherlock, general counsel of Spot Hero for being on Going Off the Record. Our first episode. This was a ton of fun, man. We'll have you back on again once I get a better hang of this. But um, honestly, thanks. This was really cool. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. It was fun.